0: What I'm going to show you now is uh, a video from this year's um, Democratic Party convention. Uh, a lady named Jenna Lee Nardella, uh, she is a missionary in Africa, she was asked to do a, a prayer. I believe she's with Bloodwater Mission, so they, they plant wells in, in Africa, and she was asked to do a prayer And and I'll just encourage you, rather than watching the video, maybe close your eyes and just listen to it. It's a very incredible prayer and um, one that I really agree with. And so I thought it was good to to kind of start with that and and get a flavor of even maybe what some of the people were hearing at the conventions this year. So check it out. Delegates and guests, please stand for this evening's benediction offered by Janelina Ardella from Nashville, Tennessee.
1: As a young woman of faith and a leader, I am humbled to follow the First Lady, whom we all admire. So thank you for inviting me here. As we close this day, let us quiet our hearts in prayer. God, I stand before you and ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing unto you. I pray for our president, Barack Obama, May he know your presence, O God, as he continues to serve as a leader of this nation, as a husband to Michelle, and as a father to his daughters. Help him to seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with you. I pray as well for Governor Mitt Romney. May he know your presence, O God, as he continues to serve as a leader, as a husband to Anne, and as a father to his sons and their families. Help him to seek justice love, mercy, and walk humbly with you. I pray for our country in the next nine weeks leading up to this election, for those of us here and for our fellow citizens who met last week. May we make our children proud of how we conduct ourselves. We know our human tendencies toward finger pointing and frivolousness. Our better selves want this race to be honest and edifying rather than fabricated and self-serving. Give us, O Lord, humility to listen to our sisters and brothers across the political spectrum because your kingdom is not divided into red states and blue states. Equip us with moral imagination to have real discourse. Knit us, O God, as one country even as we wrestle over the complexity of how we ought to live and govern. Give us gratitude for our right to dissent and disagree. For we know that we are bound up in one another and have been given the tremendous opportunity to extend humanity and grace when others voice their deeply held convictions, even when they differ from our own. And give us wisdom, God, to discover honest solutions. For we know it will take all of us to care for the widow and the orphan, the sick and the lonely, the downtrodden and the unemployed, the prisoner and the homeless, the stranger and the enemy, the thirsty and the powerless. In rural Africa, I am witness to thousands of HIV positive mothers, fathers and children who are alive today because Democrats and Republicans put justice and mercy above partisanship help us to keep that perspective even as we debate one another god i thank you for the saving grace of jesus and for the saints who have humbly gone before us i thank you for the words of st francis of assisi whose prayer my husband and i carry with us both in our home in east nashville and in our work across rural africa as we enter this election season i praise st francis's words for us all lord Make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.
0: Amen. Very. When I posted it on Facebook, which I don't post, i a tremendous amount of things on Facebook. I was surprised to get uh, a couple of comments, not a lot, but especially one from somebody that I have not spoken to in years, years. And, um, and his one comment was uh, challenging the prayers being a prayer of hypocrisy, um, as in Isaiah where it says, they're, you know, they speak with their mouths, but their, their hearts are far from him. and um, And it was interesting to me. Because it is such a a true prayer, um, praying very bipartisan, right? Um, just that that we would together act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly, and that that is something I feel like we really should agree upon. Um, the reason why we are we're talking about this today on a Sunday morning um, is because I believe, um, and we believe as a church, uh, that. That we live, um, those who have come to know Jesus Christ as Lord. Um, and the interesting thing is, when when in the early church they called Jesus Christ Lord, um, it was just as much a political statement as a religious statement for them. Um, it was in response to the Christ Caesar is Lord that they said Jesus Christ is Lord. Um, so us who have come to see Jesus Christ as Lord should not and cannot separate um, what we see as being righteous when we go into the ballot box, right? It would be untrue um, and dishonest of us when we act as whether it be citizens or children or parents or coworkers or employees, all those things, wherever we go and whatever we do, it would be dishonest for us not to be acting out what we saw as being righteous in the eyes of God. And that's what we want to we, we take into this season again of politics. How do we act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly in these treacherous waters? So I'm going to mention a couple things first, kind of as rules of discourse that you can take into any conversation about this. And then we're going to look at the first 16 verses of Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And I see that is as being uh, a governing pattern for Christians who want to live in this world as lights. So um, some rules of discourse. The first is for us to know... <laughs> That God himself is involved and invested in the lives of people and in the lives of nations uh, on the earth. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is an invitation for Christians to be fully involved in what's going on around them. Right, the incarnation being that that Jesus, as it says in John 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And I had a professor in college that loved quoting the message Bible, it says, Jesus uh, moved into our neighborhood. He took on flesh and moved into our neighborhood, right? And so the incarnation, Jesus coming into our neighborhood, right, is an invitation for Christians to be fully involved in seeing the world come back into relationship with God, right? And so we should take that into our idea of politics that we don't see it as being something, uh, this is the second point, that we don't see it as being something other or below us as Christians but incorporated into the life of a Christian the investment in, uh, in the decisions that go on in the community, in our country that we can take part in. Thirdly, that we want to be biblical at all times and not substitute anything else for the gospel, which that often takes place in political discourse is that we substitute the hope we have in Jesus for a, a hope that is very temporary. Like like we saw every year they have a convention for the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. They're like rabid football fans out there, right? And we remember, right? and and what happens with the party that lost the next time they always make fun of what the party said four years ago that they opposed right oh they said there was gonna be change but there's not change right and they they go after him right because every year they promise great things they promise ultimately the salvation of a people right which they cannot deliver on so never replace the gospel with the hope of politics does that make sense Never replace the hope found in the gospel with a hope found in politics. Next point. Both preachers and politicians and voters are all accountable to God himself. In James 2.12, it says, "Speak Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Right? that that ultimately is God who we all are accountable to, whether it be us who vote or the politicians who we're voting for. Next thing is God does not align himself, and you have to get this, God does not align himself with a party. Every time I think about this, I think of Joshua 15, and there's this incredible story that should dash partisan politics for you. In Joshua 15, Joshua, who's just taken on the lead as kind of commander in chief of the Israelites. Um, he's, he's walking about, they're about to go into battle, right? And he's he's walking alone, and he comes upon the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord's standing there, right? Sword drawn, ready to go. And and Joshua asks him this question. He says, Are you for us or against us? And remember that these are the these are the people of God, Israel. Right? And he says, Joshua asks him, are you for us or are you against us? And we think, this is a time for God to be partisan. This is for God to choose sides, right? Well, of course I'm with Israel and I'm not with the other guys. But what does the angel of the Lord say? He says, I'm with neither. (laughs) God doesn't represent your party. He doesn't represent your nation. God represents himself. And then after that, he says, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. This is mine. (laughs) Right. So God, God does not align himself with a party. God represents himself, and you have to remember that. You have to remember that as you come into this season where people will try to sell their tribe as being the one that God endorses. Lastly, remember that governments change. That isn't meant to be a pun. <laughs> After the last election, change. Governments change, <laughs> but God does not change, right? And that's well represented in scripture. And it is kind of played out in a kind of a funny way, this last election, where I think it was September 5th, or September 4th, the Democrats took God off their platform, and then on the 5th, the next day, they put God black, back on their platform, right, as um, so, so governments change, they change quickly, they change um, daily, right, because they, they are conforming often now, even times, to please the people, but God does not change, right, because God isn't here to please you, but to call a nation, call a people, call the world back to himself, into relationship with himself. So that's kind of where, that's, that's the waters we swim in, right? That anytime you come into to a political season or talking politics with somebody, remember those things, right? God is invested, so we are invested, right? But he's invested not for the sake of a certain people, but by calling all people to himself. And that alone is the hope that we should hold on to. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. Wonderful, yeah. So... Turn with me to Matthew 5 if you're not there yet. Starting in verse 1 and going to verse 16. And think about this in relationship to us being Christians in our nation or in our world. Now when Jesus saw the crowd, he went up on a hillside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemaker, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you falsely, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. So what we see in the first 12 of those verses, what is commonly called the Beatitudes, and it goes into blessed are, literally it's saying happy are the people who, literally what it's showing us is the, you know, blessed is the blessed transformation of the life of a Christian, someone who is come to Jesus. This is this is the transformation that is going on in their life that allows them to, I believe, fulfill verses 13 through 16. So what you see is the the character of a Christian and then how that spills out into their relationship With the world. So we're going to call it the blessed transformation. I think it's such a beautiful thing. And I'll show you how this works out. A Christian is a person who, get this, a Christian is a person who is poor in spirit. Okay, blessed are the poor in spirit. The Christian is the person who has realized that that when it comes to the most important parts of of their life of their spiritual life the the place where they um, connect with God that they are poor that they don't have a good relationship with God a Christian is a person who realizes that and so they blessed is the person who mourns right so they mourn over it they're the person who's going if I experience such poverty of spirit and this is the most important thing for me I am, I am a, I'm a broken person. And they're a person who has humility, has meekness because of that, right? So their character is one of humility because they've come to God and realized that God is rich and they are poor, right? And so they're humbled by that. The Christian is the person who, because of that, in that place of humility, in that place of brokenness, thirsts for righteousness thirst for the things of God that is what they want that's what they want more than anything Right. Blessed is the person who wants God more than anything. And, and when I talk about the blessed transformation as it comes to representing God in the world, I'm talking about this because, guys, you will not get how to vote righteousness, righteously or be righteous unless you've been transformed. And so you see the world the way God sees the world. Does that make sense? Because if you're still seeing the world through this perspective of going, I am so awesome, right? Or you still see the world through the perspective of joy is found outside of Jesus, you're never going to see the world and desire the transformation of the world that God is longing for the world to experience. Does that make sense? Right, so this, trans- this beautiful, happy transformation that's going on, blessed are the merciful because they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful because they've received, uh, they received so much mercy. The pure in heart, the peacemakers, right? the people who are being persecuted, blessed are those people. They're being transformed by God, and this is the character of their lives. Right? When was the last time you came to somebody and you went, I'm really struggling because... I'm at work, and, and it's so hard to be a Christian at work. It's so hard to be a Christian where I am, and they go, happy are you because you are persecuted, because yours is the kingdom of God, right? No, you guys, what, what do you do? You go, oh, I'm so sorry. Maybe you should look for a different job, right? No, <laughs> and that's not even persecution, guys, right? <laughs> Do we look at these things as being happy, right? Happy are the people who realize without God they are poor in spirit. Blessed are the people who, who are humbled by that fact. No, and because of that, we look for alternate hopes, like political hopes or other things to transform the world. We need to be a transformed people. Amen. Amen. Right? Don't fall asleep on me, guys. Right? We need to be a transformed people because you won't get it every year. Every time an election comes or any decision comes, you're constantly going, well, what should I do? Right? <laughs> Seriously, because you aren't going to be aligning yourself with the righteous, the righteous motives of God daily. Right? On a day-to-day basis, the way you're processing things or seeing things are through the blessed transformation that's going on here. Right. This should light you guys up, because this is what it's saying. Right? It ends in this incredible, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And Jesus is going, I am worth it. Right. Blessed are you when people insult you because of me. This is a guy, this is like a homeless man on a mountain, going when people say bad things about you because of me, that's the best thing that could possibly happen to you. Because they, maybe they're getting it. Maybe they're getting that you're different. Right? That you're not, you're not believing in the hope the rest of the world's believing in. You're believing in me, and they think that's ridiculous. Right? But maybe when they see that foolishness, eventually they will see the wisdom in it. Right? And when they see the wisdom in it, because you haven't conformed to the pattern of the world, but you've been transformed by the renewing of your mind, that they will want it. Right? How often do we spend our lives wanting what the world has when they should be wanting what we have, right? Be transformed in that way. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So if you live in such a way where people don't understand immediately what you're saying or understand the righteousness you're living for, you're in good company, Okay, you're in good company, and read your Bible and, and dwell with those saints. So that's the beatitudes. That's the character and conduct of a Christian. And then as we as we it kind of bleeds over. This is it says this now is is your perspective. Is that transformation's taken on a place in your heart? This is how you're interacting with the world. And it gives three distinct images: uh, the image of salt, the image of light, and then it calls us a city. Okay. In salt, it says you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Right? If salt loses its saltiness, it should be trampled. (laughs) Right? And you know what that's saying? If if salt is no longer salty, it's no better than sand. Right? Do we don't sprinkle sand? I've never been keep us the sand so I can sprinkle on my food. Right? That doesn't happen, right? It should be trampled. You're going to throw it out the door and it's going to be trampled on, right? That makes sense, right? (laughs) And it's bad for your teeth if you try putting sand on your food. So what this means is that the Beatitudes are what give our lives a distinct flavor and that that should flavor the world. That should flavor the community that we're in. People have talked a lot about, what does it really mean to be salty? But I, I really believe that's what it means. Because it's simple there. It says, if it loses its saltiness, it's thrown out. Right? If it loses its usefulness, it should be discarded. In in the, the time this was written, there was, we get about, there are probably more, but six different examples at least, that we find kind of in the scriptural context of how people flavored their world. People who either had, you know, the Old Testament or even those who were disciples of Jesus. And I'm going to run these through uh, you and for you to see how, think, how did these people flavor the culture that they were in, right? Because I want to be asking us later, how are you flavoring the community you're in or the country you're in? In the Bible times you had your Sadducees right? Sadducees were people who had kind of, um, they they dealt with some religious things, but they were more the teachers of the law, right? And they had really come into cahoots with the Roman government. And so they they weren't most liked among people, right? Because they mostly did what pleased the Roman government, right? You can see that sometimes, right? People who just please other people. And that's whatever stance they'll take is what pleases other people. The Pharisees, Right, the way they flavored their world was they held to strict morals. Right? They were the people who, if you wanted a rule for something, they'd give you three. Right? They, right, if you were like, I let my, parents, my kids watch PG-13 movies, they'd be like, I don't even let my kids watch movies. You know, they are the people that are constantly trying to one-up other people so they look better. Right? And in some way, maybe get favor with God. Right? They had the zealots. Right? who were the, the crazy people who would go around and like kill people, try to overthrow the government. Right? <laughs> They're like, we're going to bring back the, the Israeli government by force. right? And so they'd kill people. And so that's the way they flavored the world they lived in. You had the, the Dead Sea or the Qumran community, which literally, we, that, they were the ones that kind of stockpiled all the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, and that was a community who, because they saw the corruption in the Roman government, they just withdrew from it. And they just stayed out. They were like, we're, we're just going to stay away, right? And just create our own little community. And then the, the fifth community, the last community you saw, is the community of the disciples, right? And, and the interesting thing is, who's remembers overcoming and changing the world? Right? It was the disciples. And the disciples really... Were the ones who invested the most. There's a story I've heard, or a joke, I should say, that I think I've shared on Sunday mornings, but I love it, right? It's this story of, right, Jesus, after he's gone through the whole ordeal on earth, he he goes back to heaven and, you know, visibly scarred, right? He gets to heaven and one of the angels is like, wow, they treated you pretty rough. He's like, yes, they did. They killed me. And so he explains the whole ordeal and, and Jews and, and the angel's like, So you're gonna you're gonna go back and like really lead them in the charge, right? And he's like, No, I you know, I I passed my teachings on to, to twelve who became eleven. One betrayed me, and uh, and but they're teaching other people. And the angel's like, Are these the same guys who abandoned you? And Jesus is like, Yes, these are the same guys who abandoned me. But He's like, But but you know I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and and I think, you know, they're going to do it. He didn't say I think he knew it, right? But but the funny thing is 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 that Jesus did leave it, right? With his empowerment of the Holy Spirit to change the world. And they did. Right? It is amazing, right? We have right, BC and AD, which they've tried to change, right? But we we have this this Absolute split in history upon these people, right? Who, who received the blessed transformation of the Beatitudes, right? They were people that were so broken. Think about it, right? Yes, they, they denied him and they, then they ran when he was betrayed. But these were the people who, that learned by that that they were poor in spirit, right? They learned by the, that they were poor in spirit and so they mourned it, right? It says, Peter went out and wept bitterly. Right? And they're going through this. And so those are the guys who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Right? And so they go, and what flavor did they bring to their community? You can read. Not just Christian historians, but but secular historians of the time that said the Roman government looked to the early Christians on how to take care of their poor because the church did it so well. There were cities that didn't have needs because the church responded to its needs. And they said, We don't understand these Christians because they take care of those that are not their own. It was amazing. That was the flavor they gave to the Roman Empire. It was incredible. And we can think throughout history, right? Think of, even before, if you, if you want to think about cultural transformation, think of guys like Joseph, right, in the Old Testament, who, who just won favor, right, in Potiphar's household, and then was raised to the second seat in the Egyptian empire, right? And how we just blessed nations with that, right? Or think of Daniel, right? It's a great name. Right? Think of Daniel, who, right, was an advisor to kings who would not compromise. And Daniel, one, I love this, in Daniel one eight, it says, so Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Him and his friends resolved not to defile himself. And he was elevated to this place of advisor for kings, right? Amazing. And you see this over and over again, these people giving flavor to the places they were. But we know even even in closer experience think of a a william wilberforce right who worked tirelessly for the abolition of slavery Think of John Wesley, who we know as a preacher who sparked revival throughout England, but historians will say this. They say, if it was not for the preaching of John Wesley and George Whitefield, England would have had the same revolution that the French experienced, right? The bloody revolution in France that, that took hold, right? Guillotine, right? that took hold of France would have crossed the waters into England if it was not for the preaching of the Wesleys and Whitfield, that, that showed the nation that the gospel was a better way. Right? That's amazing. Right? Think of Martin Luther King Jr., right, who God powerfully used here in America. Think of Billy Graham, who was an advisor to what, eight presidents, He's still going. <laughs> praise God for these people. Right, praise God for these people. So what does this mean for us, the Christian voter? How do we be salt? How do we be a flavor in our community? And, and this is, is how. First, look at yourself and say, have I gone through the transformation of the Beatitudes? Do I have any idea how, apart from Jesus, I am poor spiritually? Do I have any idea of that? Because if you don't, you won't mourn. You won't be humble. You won't hunger and thirst for righteousness. And remember that salt that does not have saltiness is worthless. It's a strong word. Strong word, right? Salt that does not have saltiness should be trampled. And how often we Christians are in that. Think of this. For the person who simply waves a sign, yet has no love to, to engage with, speak with, and be in community with those who they're condemning should be trampled underfoot, right? That's not, that's not flavoring a community, Right? right, the person who cares not for their neighbor, right, the second greatest commandment, right, if you don't care about your neighbor or your community, if you don't have that saltiness, what does it say? You'll be trampled underfoot, right? Why? For the person who spends all their time, effort, and energy on themselves, right, that's not saltiness, that's not flavoring a community. Romans twelve one encourages us to to, with our whole bodies, worship God and to be transformed and not conformed to the patterns of this world, right? And that's, that's how we are salty, right? That we are transformed into the heart of God for the community and we go in it and we just, we love our neighbor as ourselves, right? Here could be the next Wilbur forces, right? Does that make sense? Salts, don't lose your saltiness. The second image is light. You are the light of the world, and and I think you kind of get a really good glimpse of this when on on like a on one of those days when the cloud is just letting certain rays through, right? Or when I was out trail running in my woods the other day, and and a, a truck went up in front of me on this this gravelly road, its dirt gravelly road, and it kicked up all this dust, which of course I was kind of cursing the truck because of that. But yet as I ran, the dust created this amazing, um, it made you see all the light coming through the trees, and it was amazing, even though I was probably getting lung cancer. But, but, you know, when you see that light, the rays of light that are so clear, we're supposed to see it as this, right? That you are an example to the world. That that light reveals what is hidden, right? Anything that remains hidden is merely something in the shadows and that we are a model, literally a model for everything. It says to be put on a stand, right? To give light to the room. We are meant to see past and to shine light into the common issues of our day that people simply jump into parties about or treat lightly we believe more in a change of heart than merely a change of laws. Okay, seeing past it, seeing, seeing beyond it, wanting everything to be revealed to the lot of the gospels. We don't merely go, okay, we want there to be, um, actually I'll just give examples here. Change of heart versus a change of laws. Um, two of the things that we know are two of the most controversial issues are ab- abortion and marriage, right? Homosexual marriage. And these are things that as the Christian looks into those issues, this is what they must see beyond the potential change of laws. They must see that of all births from women under the age of 30, that over 50% are to single mothers, Right? We have to see that there is a larger challenge faced than merely saying no abortions. Does that make sense? Right? So someone who's just going to check a box and go, just don't do that because it's bad, right? Th- they need to be the person going, well, I will step in, right? To the person who does not have the help they need or is in a desperate situation, right? Yes, maybe maybe what they're doing, Right? Isn't right, but are you gonna love them and care for them and be there? Are you gonna support them and surround them, give them mercy? Right? Are you gonna be that person? Or are you merely gonna check a box? Does that make sense? We have to be light in the world, we have to be the one seeing further down. What what's at the heart of these things? You have to. Or you're gonna be care- you're not gonna assault the world. Right, we cannot think that we'll ever experience peace with the Middle East if we constantly demonize Muslims. Right? If all we do, and I hate, I hate it. I don't even know how to respond when when people were like, "People need to know those Muslims would we'll kill everybody." Right? I hate it because because there are you are you just going to see that? <laughs> are you gonna Are you gonna speak into that? Are you gonna love that? Are you gonna are you going to try to be an agent, a peacemaker? Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God. Are you a peacemaker? Or do you just let your mouth run, right? You've got to grab a hold. Are, do you see into the issues? You have to. right? Are you going to be a person who merely checks the box and says, No, homosexual marriage. And be a person holding a sign, right? Saying, all homosexuals go to hell. Or or whatever you do. Or are you going to be the person who... I'm I'm not saying we don't act legislatively on these things. I'm saying we need to be the people also being in conversation with them. That they know that Jesus came to the world to save sinners of which I'm the worst. Right? Are we going to be the light of the world? Because... Because we constantly snuff it out. We snuff it out. People aren't seeing Jesus, they're just seeing jerks. (laughs) So we have to speak into the world we have to be agents of light. Theologically the way we see this is is in the gospel. The gospel is more than theology. The gospel is something bigger than legislation. What God desires for creation and for people is far bigger than any party platform could ever want for this country. God wants more for this country than anyone else wants for it. Amen? And the gospel does not ignore social and cultural change, but it speaks into that and it shines light in what that actually looks like. The, The gospel ultimately is incarnational. What this means for us um, is, Micah 6, 8, to act justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Justice speaks into a situation the light of the character of God. Right? So when there is an issue, we look at that issue according to the character of God, and we can speak to and saying, yes, this is just or this is unjust. And we bring that into the ballot box when we vote. The justice of God. And then in in our lives as we act that out, right? As some of you become foster parents, right? As some of you guys act out mercy in the world, as you interact with people in your community, right? Who know that you don't just check a box, but you love them and you want to be a part of their lives. That you go in and you do that. You act in mercy knowing that God loves the prodigal's return, right? Right? That God is the father going, come home. He's not the person given a stiff arm. (laughs) Right? And we walk humbly because we know, in view of the justice of God, that we don't meet that standard ourselves and we need his mercy. You need the mercy of God. (laughs) And so you walk humbly with him. It's not just the Democrats, the Republicans, or whoever I don't like who needs the mercy of God. It's me who needs the mercy of God. Amen. And so we act accordingly to that. Religion that is pure and faultless is caring for the orphans and the widows, and keeping oneself from being unstained by the world. The third image uses out of a city, and and that of a city. Um, we are meant to be a, a community, literally within a community. A community set apart, and we're set apart because of these beatitudes and because of the way God transforms us. In Jeremiah 29, 5-7, God tells Israel this, and I think this is a great model for ourselves in this city. It says, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat their produce. Marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and daughters in marriage. I'm still asking my parents to do that. So, so that they may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Get this, and it says, do not decrease. Grab a hold of this and seek the peace and prosperity of the city which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Amen. If this city prospers, we will prosper. And so we desire that for the city. We make investments in the city. The early church and the church today was meant to be a city on a hill literally a community that all other communities looked to to see how it should function wouldn't that be neat right imagine if Capitol Hill looked to the city on a hill for the way it should do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God how cool would that be right and that comes through us uniting together being transformed into that beautiful community guys that would be so cool and and we are a few people but we are people that if we grab a hold of that right if you want to just grab a hold of that read again i love i love the letter letter from the birmingham jail that martin luther king jr wrote right that grabbed a hold of it in a real way for me and and if you want to see what it looks like, right, to be a city on a hill, read that. Read the Beatitudes again. What does it look like for us to be a people together, right? That the, that the community can look at and be like, oh, if only our whole community acted like that, right? Guys, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. And let's do that together. What this looks like for us is as it ends there, In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So these two things we'll end with. That they will, that that the community we live in lives by different standards and a different pattern. The different standards we live by is that in the end, God gets the glory. (laughs) It's not us that get the glory. And that will center the community around what is right we will, no longer be, we will no longer be selfish but when we're giving God glory we're like man this looks like him this is awesome right and we celebrate those things that's so cool right so different standards and we live by a different pattern right the patterns we live by literally is good deeds that call attention to God and the way that that plays out right is in prayer Right? We, we live a life praying for our community. We live our lives serving for the community, being a part of the community. And, and as we pray, I, I, want, I want us to, to f- end kind of with Second Corinthians 10.5 because it, it, it gives us, you guys have to believe that blessed, that blessed transformation is reality. And you want that reality to be seen by the world and shared by the world for this to take place. And and in Second Corinthians ten, three through five it says this, for we though we live in the world, we don't wage war the world the way the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God when I mean, we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And so that's how we go about this. We don't do it like the world does it. Right, But we pray together and we say, God, may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as is in heaven. We, and we see the greatest power to bring that about, about is the power of God himself working through his community as his hands and feet in the world. And then we will season the world. We will shine into the world and we'll be examples to the world of a community that is experiencing the freedom that can alone be found in the gospel. And guys, that is just a beautiful thing. Do you guys want that? Yes. Right, do it. We want it. <laughs> yeah, right? I hope you guys want it, man, I, I do. And, and I just, guys, and the truth is not enough people want it. pray with me God your word has power that that is inestimable God God your word is active and living and dynamic and and we need a lot of work God God, we need a lot of work here because we are a slumbering people. Yeah, we need a lot of work because oftentimes the, the, the change we see de- desired is, is merely change that, is, that represents our self, our selfish desires, God. But we want change that represents you. That, that when, when people see it, when people really understand it, they give glory to God. God, may this church, may the Refuge Church be a community that doesn't conform to the pattern of the world, but is transformed by the renewing of our minds. God, I pray that something, maybe if it wasn't in the sermon, and the music will, will speak to us today, that when we go away, we will desire to be a part of that, God. God, awaken us to the possibilities of what it looks like for a community to just be, <laughs> just to see Jesus, for a community to see Jesus and imitate him. My God, I probably sings in his name, amen.